Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. How does radio broadcasting work? This week on The Naked Scientists, we spoke to John Adamson, BBC production editor for London and the South East, also known as The Digital Doctor. We found out how a microphone works, all of the different processes a signal needs to go to before it leaves the studio and reaches your ears, and we discovered the difference between AM, FM, and of course, digital radio. You can hear the full podcast with Chris Smith and with me, Ben Valsler, at thenakedscientists.com slash podcasts. But we had so many questions that we decided to publish some of them as this special edition podcast. Let's kick off with this one from Roy, who called in to ask about digital broadcast and bad weather. Digital uh, television signals. So we've got a nice number of channels to choose from. Okay, that's all very nice. But the uh, signal qualities... And uh, the strength of those um, signals are absolutely hopeless. Whenever we get unsettled weather conditions, like high winds or wind, rain and even frost, we, we get picture break-up and we also get channel losses where, the, where when you look at the signal um, percentage, it's zero. John, what do you think about um, Roy's issue with weather conditions and uh, deterioration in his signal? Right, well, well, that was specifically about television. But, but yes, that's back to this digital, if you like, shelf factor. What it is is, in the analogue world, the signal gets better and better as you increase the signal strength until you get an absolutely noise-free signal. In the digital world, you get perfect signal until all of a sudden your decoder says... This signal's a bit weak. I can't make any sense of it. So there are three states in digital television. You've either got a perfect picture, which may be with quite a small signal. Then you get a very marginal signal, which means that the picture breaks up. It goes all blocky, pixelates, and the sound chirps and burbles at you. Or you get nothing at all. It's just these three states that's the problem. So what that says to me is you're starting off with a fairly marginal signal to start with. You could do with a stronger signal by whatever means so that when the, you do get adverse weather conditions and winds blowing your aerial around and whatnot, you've got a bit more margin to play with. Thank you, John, on that one. I've got a question here from Ross Corran, who is listening in Dundee, and he says, how long does it take your radio show to get to my ears? In other words, what's the latency in FM, for example, between a signal coming out of a, a presenter's mouth and coming out of the speaker on someone's radio at the other end? Right, well, it does depend a lot on the transmission chain that's involved. It depends whether the radio station itself is digital, it has digital uh, sound desk, digital processing amplifiers, and then digital con- uh, transmission lines to the transmitter site. All of these things can add a bit uh, in terms of delay. Typically, I would say that you'd be talking about less than 50 milliseconds in total for your average radio station, maybe less than that if you have a completely analogue radio station feeding digital circuits and if it's an analogue radio station feeding analogue lines to the transmitter, which of course is analogue, with an analogue audio processor, the delay is virtually zero. 
which is reassuring because then the pips are genuinely potentially on time, aren't they? We've um, also got quite an interesting question. It's anonymous. It's just coming as a text. Someone's asking how you stop all the different radio stations interfering with each other. And then they, there's also this sort of question about the difference between local radio and national radio, how you keep local local and national goes all over the country. Well, it depends on the frequencies we're talking about, of course. As I mentioned earlier, medium wave has about 120 channels uh, available for the use across Europe. It's all coordinated internationally so that some countries have a preferred frequency for high-power stations and then other countries can use these frequencies again, but only on low power. So, for example, if we were to take Radio 5 Live, which is on medium wave across the UK, it has two primary frequencies, 693 and 909 kilohertz. These are high-power channels, so these would have maybe half a dozen transmitters on each of these frequencies, and that can cover the UK with a few fillers uh, around and about on, on different channels. That means that these frequencies could be used by countries maybe like the south of France or Spain at low power, so long as they don't interfere with the national service. In terms of local radio, nearly all the local radio frequencies we use on medium wave are reused frequencies. So, in other words, another country has these frequencies as its high power allocation, and we're allowed to use it on a non-interference basis. What that means is we mustn't interfere with them. That doesn't mean to say that they mustn't interfere with us because they are the primary users. And as I said earlier, the after-dark problems, the sky wave propagation, means that quite often you might be listening to, let's say, Radio Norfolk on 855 kilohertz. You can hear a Spanish station quite strongly in the background. Just to ask a sort of extension of this, though, you quite tantalisingly just now said there could be five or six transmitters on a high-power frequency in Britain for the network Radio 5 Live. So how do they position those transmitters so that if I'm listening in a certain place, a wave coming from one transmitter isn't going to then mix with a wave coming from another and cancel out, so actually I'm in a dead spot? Or is that exactly what happens? That is exactly what happens, in fact. If you get midway between two transmitters of similar power, even although we synchronise the transmitters so that they're absolutely in phase and the audio is delayed such that they get to the transmitters at the same time, you will still get a situation where you get horrible phasing distortion. A good example of how we dealt with this was Radio 4 Longwave, which has three transmitters, one at Droitwich uh, near Birmingham, one at West the Glen between Glasgow and Edinburgh, and one at Berghead near Inverness in Scotland. All of these operate on 198 kilohertz. What they do is they steer the audio delay such that they can create a mush area in centres where there's hardly any population. So if you were to take the difference between Wester Glen and Droitwich, the mush area tends to be around Cumbria. But how they deal with that is they put a medium wave filler in that area so that although you get a horrible Radio 4 long wave signal, you get a medium wave alternative. Likewise, the delay between Wester Glen and Berghead is steered such that the mush area is in the, the highlands of Scotland where the population is very low. What about though with FM networked radio? They're using different frequencies in different parts of the country though to avoid that problem aren't they? Because I notice that when I drive from one part of the country to another I'll stay tuned to the same network radio program but I'll notice my fancy radio will have retuned itself to a slightly different frequency between the two places on my journey. 
That's right. Each national network occupies around about 2.2 megahertz worth of space on the FM dial. So five national networks, Radio 1, 2, 3, 4 and Classic FM, they all get random just over 2 megahertz each to plan the national networks. So that comprises quite a number of transmitters at high power that cover the bulk of the population and then lots of low power fillers in between. But they have to be on different frequencies because, as I said earlier, it's an analogue system. If you get two transmitters on the same frequency that don't arrive at the same time at the receiver, you get distortion and uh, all sorts of nasty noises. So that's how they deal with that on, on FM. And if I could take us back to DAB, we've had a question on Twitter from Nate Langson, who says that DAB broadcasts have different bit rates, and some, therefore, sound better than others. So who decides what it should be, or, or is there a standard that we all try and stick to? Right. Well, in the early days, when the Eureka 147 project was launched, the plan was that they would have high-quality services of 256 kilobits and maybe a compromise would be 192. The difficulty with that is, commercially, that didn't make it all that attractive because there weren't really very many more channels than we could get on the FM dial. To make DAB attractive, they wanted more stations, particularly in the commercial sector. So the way to do that with a finite amount of bandwidth is to reduce the bit rate of each station until you can, get, you can squeeze more channels in. That's an advantage of DAB, really, that you can dynamically control the bandwidth used by stations. So, for example, when Radio 5 Live has a special going out on 5 Live Sports Extra, they will change the bit rate of 5 Live. Likewise, Radio 4 FM, carried on DAB, will have a certain bit rate normally, but when the morning service goes out on the Radio 4 longwave version on DAB, or today in Parliament is broadcast, then the bit rate is squeezed down and it goes into mono so that you can maximise the choice for the amount of bandwidth available. And yes, the quality does vary station to station. Some stations are using as little as 64 kilobits, which does not produce very pleasant effects. It restricts you to mono. The old MPEG coding doesn't perform well at these bit rates. However, there's something else that I might talk to you about, and that's DAB+, which is a means by which you can use even lower bit rates and get reasonable sound quality. But the UK isn't adopting that. Why not? The problem is backwards compatibility. If you have a radio that you've bought before 2008, the chances are it would not be able to decode DAB+. So all these people who have gone out in good faith and bought their DAB radios would find they wouldn't be able to get the DAB plus stations. And of course, the longer we leave it, the more difficult it becomes because ever more people have bought sets that might not be compatible. Other countries are looking at that and in introducing DAB plus, but that's because they're not so far ahead in getting DAB launched in the first place. I could give you a parallel of Freeview HD and Freeview. If you have a Freeview box, you cannot decode Freeview HD. However, a Freeview HD box will decode basic Freeview. What are the government going to do with the FM bandwidth that's freed up by the move to digital? Well, if this all goes ahead, the plan to migrate most radio listening to digital, and by that we mean DAB primarily, it does free up the space on the FM band. And what's been said so far is that local radio stations that cannot afford to get on DAB, small-scale community stations as well, they would remain on FM. But 
the license for a national DAB station is not very expensive. It's only about... I was talking to someone the other day about this, actually. They said it's about £500,000 will buy you a DAB license. At the moment, people are spending significantly more than that on an FM license. I, I don't think that's the case in the smaller-scale radio stations that I'm talking about. I'm talking about citywide stations which work on a very tight budget with maybe three or four staff a bit like a commercial ver- version of community radio, which, of course, is run on a, an essentially voluntary basis. They, they just do not have the funds to do it. They have tried going on to local DAB multiplexes in some areas, but they found the cost prohibitive and the listenership not very great. This is quite funny, isn't it, that everyone strove for FM, and now FM's going to become the poor person's radio, where at the moment everyone wants to be on FM. They're all going to go over to digital, we would expect, and this means that then you, you use that capacity for lower budget operations into the future. It's a curious development, yes. It's quite different to the, the model for analogue television switch-off, where there was a digital dividend quite clearly payable there. And, and what we mean by that is they were able to reuse some of the frequencies that were previously required in the analogue world, which were no longer required in the digital world, and that will allow us to roll out, for example, 4G wireless radio mics and different bands and the likes. The FM band between 87.5 megahertz and 108 megahertz, it's difficult to see what commercial value that has outside conventional analogue broadcasting. That was John Adamson, BBC production editor for London and the South East. You can hear more from him in the main Naked Scientists podcast this week, and you can find that at thenakedscientists.com slash podcasts.